Would you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm Pat. I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for everybody being up here. A um, couple things. If you're if you're uh, watch your cups, I guess if uh, somebody's been walking around picking up a bunch of half-filled cups, take care of that, please. Um, <coughs> the other thing is, uh, how many new people here that have never been to this retreat before? All right, nice. So, so 22 years ago. Um, I had a sponsor, his name was Ron Desotel, and uh, Ron had esophagus cancer, and, and he had this minister coming to his house, and because uh, he was dying, and so I, I'm calling him from the rafters on the payphone, and, uh, and he said that this minister had asked him to write down uh, 15 things he wanted to, to get done before he died, and uh, he goes, his wife came up with like 25. <laughs> he goes, but there was only one thing on my list. And I'm on the phone. I mean, I'm listening to this. And uh, he says, there's only one thing on my list before I die I want to get done. I go, what's that, Ron? He goes, I want to give away everything that was given to me through Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I didn't ask him if it was convenient. I go, I'm on my way over to your house. And I hung up and I went to his house. And, uh, you know, it's funny how God works. Uh, I'm listening to a couple other guys uh, talking about trying to put a retreat together. And uh, I burst into the conversation. I said, I'll do anything to make that happen on two conditions. They want to do it during the summer. I go, we can't wait till summer. And um, we need to have Ron as the, uh, the retreat master to lead the, the retreat. And uh, I talked to Ron about it, and, and Ron, Ron said, you know what, if, if uh, we get 10 or 15 guys that show up, he goes, that'll be good. I go, no, Ron, there's going to be 25, or 45. And, um, and uh, I started tearing up, because that morning I was in the shower, and I saw the, the second year, you know, and it was already coming about. And I knew Ron wasn't going to be here. And uh, Ron, uh, Ron gave the retreat that, that year, and he talked about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he, he took everybody through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, when he was, he was in a coma, and I was at his house, and, and there, there, you know, people, his family and that were around, and just waiting for him to leave. And he's in this coma. And I'm sitting in the room next to him. And all of a sudden, he freaking comes out of this coma. Scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and he says, uh, now that you, you think you know what I know, and now that you know what you know, where do we go from here? And I think where we go is towards God. I think where we go is towards helping other people and being a service. In this um, theme, the constant thought of others that Don uh, picked out is, is totally appropriate. 
because I think that's where we're supposed to be heading. And um, th that's the history of how this thing started. And it's been a, uh, I've gotten so much from everybody helping me. It's, it's amazing. And all the people that have participated and help out. And if you're new here and you, and you haven't talked to other people, reach out and share your name and talk to them. This is a brotherhood. And we can't do it by ourselves. We need each other. And with that, I'd like to introduce Don, and he's going to open up the retreat. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Don. I'm an alcoholic. And I, uh, I'm going to take a minute to read why we were chosen. And uh, I have a few copies, but I forgot who asked me for them. So there's a, there are some. Now, this is an AA. What used to be in all the AA clubs, meeting areas 50 years ago. Okay? And this is what it says. It says, God in his wisdom selected this group of men and women to be purveyors of his goodness. In selecting these, those to bring about this phenomenon, he went not to the proud, not to the mighty, the famous, nor the brilliant. He went instead to the humble and unfortunate. He went to the drunkards, the so-called weakling of the world, he might as well said to us, unto you, your weak and feeble hands, I have entrusted a power beyond estimate. To you has been given that which has been denied to the most learned of your fellows, not to scientists, not to wives, nor mothers, nor even to my priests or ministers have I given this gift of healing other alcoholics which I entrust to you. It must be used unselfishly. It carries with it grave responsibility. I'm going to put my glasses on. It carries with it grave responsibility. No day can be too long, no effort too great. It must be used with tolerance, for I have restricted its application to no race, no creed, no denomination. Personal criticism you must expect. Lack of appreciation will be common. Ridicule will be your lot. Your motives will be misjudged. You must be prepared for adversity. For what men call adversity is the ladder you must ascend rung by rung towards spiritual perfection. And remember, in the exercise of this power, I shall not exact from you beyond your capabilities. You are not selected because of your exceptional talents. Be careful always, if success attends your efforts, not to ascribe to a personal superiority 
that to which you may lay claim only by virtue of my gift. If I had wanted learned men to accomplish this mission, the power would have been entrusted to the physician and scientist. If I had wanted eloquent men, there would have been many anxious for the assignment. For talk is the easiest used of all talents which I have endowed mankind. If I had wanted scholarly men, the world is filled with better qualified men than you who would be available. You were selected because you have been the outcast of the world, and your experience as drunkards has made or should make you humbly, I gotta find where I was at, humbly alert to the cries of distress that come from the lonely hearts of alcoholics everywhere. Keep ever in mind the admission that you made on the day of your profession in Alcoholics Anonymous, that you are now, that you are powerless and that you're only, that only with your willingness to turn your life and will under my keeping, that relief came to you. And that's the why we were chosen. And I came in with wet pants, totally destroyed, and I'm of value. And I pursued that. And then it says not to use it selfishly. And I remembered when I used to have a panel and I would pick some girl I was hot for and take her along for the purpose that she would see what a great guy I was, you know. And I had to give it up. I had to quit doing that, you know, because it's not to be used selfishly. But I have, I think, three or four copies here. And now I want to share with you that my pleasure, and I'm speaking only for myself, that I get tired of us old-timers. I really do. It's just, we just repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. <laughs> the same friggin' shit. <laughs> you know? And sometimes, and I'm guilty of it, we think we should talk longer. <laughs> you know? And we are blessed today with young people who are going to go through the steps. And I am so anxious to hear them. And the first one is a young man I met several years ago. He seemed confused. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sat down with him. And we talked most the night. And he still seemed confused. <laughs> you know. But what he found was a spark in the fellowship. So I'd like to introduce Abe. Good morning, my name is Abraham and I'm an alcoholic. Um, thanks, Don. And uh, you know, before, before uh, we get going here, I know he wouldn't like this, but I'm still going to do it. Um, I don't know if you all know, but it's Pat's birthday. 
And I would like to sing, sing happy birthday really quick. Thank you, Pat. That's okay. I'm willing to risk that. Um, first of all, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love the life that I, that I have today as a result of being sober. But 10 years ago, or 11, almost 11 years ago, I came to my first retreat. In this place, and it was actually up here. And uh, Dick Moran used to tell me that he was the uh, the master shit. That's what he called it, and because uh, he was going to be the retreat master. And um, I came out up here with an open mind. That's all I had left. And uh, I see a lot of people here who are here for the first time. So I hope. You brought an open mind, and, uh, and you find what it is that you're lacking. I've been sober since August uh, 5th of two, 2007, and, you know, prior, prior to getting sober, I, I drank for many years. Um, what I realized is that I, um, when I got sober, that, and I started reading our literature and the doctor's opinion, I realized that I, you know, in my drinking career, I got to experience almost every type of alcoholic there is because I used to have these episodes that will run for a year, two years, whatever it was, right? And um, I had my bouts with, with drugs, but I am an alcoholic, true and true. And, uh, you know... Um, like drugs for me, I used to think that I had drugs lit. And I said, like, I can always stop. But I always lie to myself. You know, I didn't know this. Every time I stop is because I got locked up. You know what I mean? And after I would get out of wherever institution I was in, I would put some time clean, but I will always drink. You know, that was, that was always there. And um, um, I got married in my early 20s. And uh, I stopped using drugs. But I kept on drinking. I, I, but I made a conscious decision to not use drugs because I said, now I'm responsible, right? So now since I'm responsible, I'm only going to drink. And... Uh, you know, one of, one of the biggest lies that I, I also didn't realize uh, I told myself was that, uh, that I was a functioning alcoholic. I fancy myself of being a function, uh, functioning alcoholic. But I wasn't, never was. The fact that I attended work and, you know, I showed up at my house sometimes didn't make me functional. 
I was so dysfunctional. Everything around my life was really chaotic. And, uh, um, you know, through in my drinking, um, you know, this is how responsible I was, too, when I made that decision, is I, um, I had a pregnant wife, and uh, I would often disappear, leaving her behind for sometimes, it was just for the night, sometimes a weekend, sometimes an entire week, right? I have complete disregard for her. We were on a tight budget. I also managed to total a few cars to get thrown in jail as a result of it as well, right? And um, so I was so delusional and, and while drinking, right? Thinking, like I said, I'm, I'm functional, I'm responsible, uh, but, but, but I wasn't. And, you know, there's, there's a friend of mine here that, uh, I don't know, about 15 years ago, he came over to my house and he told me that he was uh, an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't know what that was, but uh, he kind of gave me a little bit. I didn't let him go on, right? But he gave me a little bit, and, um, and you know, I, I said, good for you, man. You really need it, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and I was done, right? I was done with him, and, uh, you know, I didn't. I really didn't. Didn't see how grave my 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 drinking career had had become. But I know that I managed to to burn through a lot of relationships. I also didn't know what a relationship was until I got sober. You know, one of the one of the things that is um, that is so crazy is that I I think back on some of the the episodes I used to have, and I remember like what took place in a general way, some stuff kind of descriptive, but I don't remember any names. I dated a whole, uh, I was going to fancy myself, I, I dated some girls, I'm not going to say a whole bunch of them, but I dated some girls, I don't remember any of their names. I think I remember my sixth grade girlfriend's name, and then I don't remember another girl's name until like prior to getting married, I dated this girl prior to to meeting my wife. And in between, I don't remember anything. I don't remember hardly any of my guy friends, right? I, you know, because I always, I was never prepared necessarily, but, you know, there was always a plan A, B, C, D, and so on and so forth, right? Not that I had it all planned out, but I know that wherever I was going, I was going to get. And um, um, I don't know what, what happened, but uh, well, I do know it's a, an act of providence. And I saw that on the, on the 12 and 12. I, um, I was on a, on a run. My wife kind of just gave me the okay to kill myself. And... Uh, and so finally, for once, she wasn't going to count how many drinks I've, I've had. And uh, the minute she, she said that to me, like, all of a sudden I had this feeling that I wanted to get sober. I did, still didn't know that, but I met a guy from Alcoholics Anonymous, another guy, um, who, who shared the message with me, who, to, who shared his experience, strength, and hope, 
and its purity. I asked him. He never offered anything. But I, I asked him because, you know, I found out that he was coming back from a meeting and I knew that he didn't drink. It just didn't make sense. If you don't drink, what are you doing going to meetings? You know, and the guy explained to me that he goes to meetings because he used to drink the same way I did and he wasn't doing it anymore for many, many years. And he caught my interest. And I asked him more and he gave me more. And it was a, the most meaningful, meaningful conversation I have had in many, many years. And that conversation lasted three nights before I was able to come up to him and ask him for help. And, uh, you know, he, he gave me his, his best and, and he told me that all I needed to do is not drink um, until Wednesday. Right? This was on a Sunday. I was tough. And, uh, and that I was going to meet him and he was going to take me to this meeting. And um, I went to the Wednesday night Santa Clarita meeting, the men's stag. And um, I've been going there ever since. I moved to Santa Clarita because I went to that meeting. You know, right there, not only that I saw for the first time people who, who suffer the same despair that I was bringing um, with, but there was a, a, a group of people who have found a common solution and that, and that was very attractive to me. There were people who, again, I, they didn't know me, and they, and, they, and they showed me love. They said, keep coming back. Like, really, I had never heard that in my life, right? Every time, they're like, we don't want you to come no more. Don't come by here. Like, we're done. My family members are like, no more, right? And... Uh, uh, Glad to inform you that today my family members actually do like me to come by from time to time. Um, um, that when having that conversation with this guy, I had this. Uh, it says in the book, we admitted to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. Um, again, I didn't know anything about AA, but I felt that in my, to my core. In my soul, I felt that like I, I'm, I'm done. Alcohol has bled me of everything. It robbed me of every emotion, of every relationship. I'm looking around and, and I have things, but I have nothing. I was, I was pretty broken, and uh, I don't know if that's what it takes, but that's what it takes for me. And uh, I start coming to these meetings, and, um, you know, I didn't, it was suggested, obviously, that I, that I get a sponsor. Actually, no, that was not suggested to me. The guy that shared his experience told me he had a sponsor, so when I first met with him, I had a plan. Right? I said I had to ask him to be my sponsor. Right, That's only the right thing to do. And I asked this guy to sponsor me. There was no problem. He said yes. And, uh, you know, but we went through the steps, kind of. 
You know, he asked me if I was alcoholic, and that was no problem. Yes. You believe in God? I said, I think so. Good. We're going to say a prayer, and, when, and we're done. And, and you know, and that, was, that was okay at the time. But it really wasn't okay. And uh, I was coming around in meetings, and I got to meet some wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, a lot of them with, with a lot of time. And they always told me, it was, you know, guys like Sandy, like Dick. Uh, I would sit around Dick Moran and listen about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. I wanted this thing so bad. I would go home and I'd Google what he just told me. And I wanted to learn more about it so that I can actually have a conversation with him and ask him more. I wanted more. I used to sit up front at every meeting. I wanted more. I didn't... You know, all I knew is that I didn't want to drink ever again. And um, I started reading our literature. And, uh, you know, if you're new, that's a, that's a pretty damn good uh, start. And I uh, started reading. I was reading the big book, but I also I started reading the, the uh, 12 and 12. And uh, on the 12 and 12, it says here, and this, was, this hit me pretty hard. It says, it was only through utter defeat that we were able to realize, we were able to take our first steps toward liberation and strength. Our admit, admissions of personal powerlessness fin finally turned out to be the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. We know that, that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA, unless he first accepted his devastating weaknesses and all of its consequences. And here's the kicker. Until he so humbles himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious, or real happiness, he will find none at all. You see, I got sober not because I wanted to continue to be miserable. I knew what misery was, right? So I had... I had to come to that, to that point where, like I said, I was, I was bankrupt. Like, you know, where do you go from there? You're empty. Only good can come in, right? I banked on that. And, um, you know, I think that when I, when I finally came to that point, like step one was really uh, came into my life, right? I actually had finally admitted who I truly was. The unmanageability of my life was evident. There was, there was not a lot of work to do. I gave that up. It's not that I avoided, you know, cause a lot of people say, like, it's a, the first step is a two-way step or two-fold step. Well, maybe. Um, but I knew, I finally found out who I was, what I was, and like I said, I knew, like, definitely, my life was completely unmanageable. And, um, you know, the whole thing about, um, you know, step two, that was, you know, admitting my, the powerlessness and, 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 and who I was, like, it, it took many, many years, right? But once I got there, like, it was so simple. Step two in coming to believe, it was, it was a little more difficult, I would say. 
and a little more difficult, not in the sense of uh, that there was all this work to be done. It was that I was, I didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know what it, I didn't know what it would take, right? And uh, I started asking around. I was big of conversation, like Don says, I, I was confused. I think Jack Brown labeled me as a skeptic. And at first, I, was, I took that offensively. I'm a skeptic, what are you saying to me? But with an open mind, I realized that what he was saying is that I was always curious. I wanted to know more. And uh, um, aside from reading the literature, and well, I came across Roland Hazard's story, I always say this, and, and the conversation he had with, with the doctor, and I identified with that. Right? I was reading Bill's story, and Dick Moran he used to tell me all this, all these stuff about Bill and, and Bob, and the history. Um, and he gave me this book, uh, Bill's First Forty Years, I believe. And I was, I read Bill's story, and you know, Bill's story kind of opened my mind to the work that needed to be done. In essence, he basically, in his story, basically walks through what it really what what it takes right to stay sober like he goes through the steps he has you know a guy sharing a message you know and uh and and him finally giving up and and you know coming to terms and you know cleaning up the mess that he had made and so on and so forth right so that was really uh really good but that conversation that Roland Hazard had with uh, with the doctor um, really like had a big, big impact on me. And he talked about that spiritual experience and uh, that, that rearrangement of ideas, right? I think he says, let me not paraphrase here. <sighs> Made a whole bunch of notes. I figured I was going to read a lot of it, but <laughs> doesn't usually work that way for me. This is probably here's the exceptions. Vital spiritual experience. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displace, displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast aside and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. And so, because I used to think that this spiritual experience had to be white lightning, you know? And, uh, and when I read what the doctor said, it really simplified things, right? All I had to do is rearrange me, my ideas. I can see that my life is unmanageable, that I need new management, right? I need to move the old management out and allow this new management in. But I didn't know who the management position, I didn't know who the new manager was going to be. I had no idea, right? I didn't know that I was about to have a new employer. I had no clue. And uh, 
Um, let's see. Um, the, and another cool thing, too, is I was really confused. And like I said, I was having conversations with a lot of people, but on the 12 and 12, on step two, it actually says that Alcoholics Anonymous does not demand that you believe in anything. All you really need is an open mind, you know? And, and, and I'm telling you, like, that was a great relief, right? Because, I mean, I was going to meetings, and I am telling you, I love meetings, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, but everybody has a freaking opinion. And everybody interprets things their way, and they'll hear something that, you know, that they heard at a meeting in, you know, whatever, Beaumont or whatever it is, and they come over and they twist it around, and all of a sudden they think this is law, Right? And so I'm being told, like, dead man walking. Dead man walking? Like, I walked in a dead man, right? Like, so that, to me, took a lot of pressure. And then furthermore, or further over, and on the next page, it actually says that, isn't it true that sometimes we walk in to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that in itself is a power greater than ourselves? This is a group of men who have managed to stay sober and conquer their illness together, isn't that powerful and greater than you? And to me, it was like, oh man, like, this is good. I couldn't do the doorknob and all that stuff. Like, that just didn't, you know, I'm not a, not a smart man. But that was, that was hard to swallow. And... Um, and like I said, I'm, I just made great people, man. I made great people. I made sure I put, I knew that I wanted to put myself in a position to meet new people, to open up, and to talk to them. I wanted to know. I sat down with, with Don, you know, and Don told me that it took him 12, 13 years before he actually had this, encounter with his power and I knew he was a good man and I knew he was sober so I knew I had a little bit of time and that helped me you know guys like Frank Diaz he told me about the great spirit he told me about the great spirit Jack Brown I spent a lot of time with Jack and Jack told me all about love and kindness And with little stuff like that, talking to Craig, always coming from a spiritual angle, talking to Pat and seeing the work that he was putting out, he just started shaping an idea as to what God could be. It just, it just opened it up. You know? I stopped thinking that he needed to be shaped a certain way. That it was a kind action, a loving thought. I came up here at that retreat, and I said, man, I know that I have time, right? I know that I have time, and I know that all I need is an open mind, and AA doesn't re require me to believe in anything. But I know that if I don't, I am doomed. I know that. You don't have to tell me that. You don't have to threaten me with your AA lingo. 
I know that. I came here filled with emotions. I don't know what happened, but it was on a Saturday morning. I could not stop crying. Some guys were here. They'll attest to that. I could not stop crying. I had this knot in my, in my throat like I have right now. And um, I couldn't stop crying. And I, you know, we ended up going on this hike. And for the very first time, for the very first time, and I'm going to tell you, 10 years ago, there was a big fire around here. Big. I think it took down some cabins. Definitely took down the forest. I didn't know that. I mean, I did know that from the news. But I, while I was up here, I didn't know that. And we went on this hike, and, and for the first time, I actually started paying attention to my surroundings, what's, what was going on. And, and I was with, uh, with Frank Diaz, and, um, and he fell behind. Everybody kept on going, and obviously I wasn't going to leave him behind, right? So I stayed behind with him. And since he was stopping every, like, two, three minutes, gasping for air, it gave me a little bit of time to look around. And I was amazed, man. Like, I'm looking around. and I, We haven't been up here. I mean, we, we just came back. Last two years we've been here, right? The last two years? Three. Three. Prior to that, we went back to Kachuma. The last three years we were here, there wasn't any snow. Ten years ago, there was snow. There hadn't been snow up here. This is how it was when I first came to the retreat. We were walking on that hike. We were going through the snow. I mean, it was really, really cool. I was excited to know there was going to be snow up here this year. Um, and uh, looking around, you know, I don't know why and how, and I didn't realize this until after we got down from the mountain and, and Frank told me that he didn't want to, like, mess things up for me, so he didn't tell me. So I kept on telling Frank, like, man, Frank, everything is really beautiful here. Look! And Frank is just looking at me like, something's wrong with me. Right? And, uh, and there was. Or something different. Maybe not wrong, but something different. And Frank didn't tell me, but he couldn't understand why I thought everything was so beautiful when the forest was burnt. And I don't know, for the first time, I actually saw past all that stuff, right? I started to pay attention to the actually live trees, to the soil around it, to the snow, to the water going through the creek. And, uh, you know, um, Jimmy asked me when we were up here, you know, what was, what was going on, and I, I told him, I don't know, man. I said, I don't know how to explain it, but I know that I feel that my chest is going to burst. I can't, I can't keep it contained. Like, I can't stop crying. And, um, you know, he says, you're going to be all right. I was like, whatever, dude. <laughs> That's all you get. I mean, everything seems to be like a puzzle with all these freaking guys, right? Be all right. Like, you're in the right place. You're right where you're supposed to be. <laughs> what? Right? I'm like, come on, like, give me something, right? And, um... Take it from me. And, um, but I, and I try to explain to Jimmy what was, what was happening. And, and, I, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I was thinking about my wife. I'm standing up here and I'm looking over this valley. 
I said, I'm thinking about my wife, and I know that my wife has always been a great woman, and I know that she's an angel, and I'm glad that this is being recorded. Can you hear me? <laughs> she knows the story. Um, but, I, but I say, you know, I've gone all these years knowing that, taking it for granted, and most importantly, ignoring all the little things that make her ever so wonderful. And I said, for some reason today, I can see it. His response is like, you're right where you're supposed to be. I was like, all right, dude, kick rocks. Right? So, um, and uh, anyways, I, I, I stayed here. But when I walked out of this retreat, and, and I'm going to tell you, um, it was... Cain did steps four and five. That, that, that's the only speaker I remember from that, from that time, aside from Dick. Uh, I think, well, actually, I do remember the rest of them. But, um, but Cain, man, I was, I was crying already when he shared, like, the floodgates just opened, right? And, and I realized, like, people come up here and share their souls with us. Like, that is huge. That is a power greater than me. And, um, you know, as I, as I became open, little by little, I became conscious of his presence. And I didn't, again, like I said, I didn't know what was happening. I had said that prayer over and over. But I had no, no idea what it meant. It meant nothing to me. It really didn't, you know. And uh, let me go back a little bit here. And I'll give you guys some some a wisdom. Um, <laughs> now this is this is cool. This is some some warning signs that I that I saw right. Step three, it says here, step three represents our first attempt to do this, meaning, you know, turn our lives and live this new life, etc., right? In fact, but here's the cool thing, the fact, the effectiveness of, of the whole AA program will rest upon how well and earnestly, and earnestly, earnestly, we have tried to come to a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Right? The effectiveness of the whole A program. Furthermore, on step three, it says here that the attendance of a few meetings is very good indeed, but is bound to be a far cry from permanent sobriety and a contented, useful life. Right? Nothing short of continuous action upon the steps can bring the much desired result. But it says right here, then it is explained that the other steps of the A program can be practiced with success only when step three is given a determined and persistent trial. Only. So you can run and do inventories and do all this stuff, 
right? If, if you're, if this to me, to me, I'm going to say this, I shouldn't say you, to me, is I did the inventory. I went on and started making lists and doing all this stuff, right, that the sponsor started telling me to do. And it was for me. It was all meaningless. Until actually, by reading the literature, and I don't want to dive into the following steps, following the literature, it says we reach this point to where we sit in a quiet place and we review the work we have done so far. And we have to make this assessment. No sponsor can give you let you know if your foundation has been is solid this far. You need to make this personal assessment and be honest with yourself. And I did, and I looked back and I said, I gotta start all over. I flunked on my first run at this. I'm okay with it too, right? But I need to review this because my very life depends depends on this. You know, Sandy always used to tell me, obviously, to read, but, you know, he, he was an instigator. And, um, and he would always put me in this, like, difficult spot. To, I had to tell him where I was in the book and all this stuff. And, and it was hard for me, but, I, you know, I finally, I'm not going to go into that story, but when I finally, like, gave him the answer he was looking for, and it took me a while, you know, I came back a year later and I said, Sandy, you told me where my problem was, but you didn't tell me that the solution was right underneath. And in Sandy style, he told me that I was a stupid motherfucker, <laughs> that he told me to read the book, and of course it was there, right? And... Uh, <sighs> I have his this card he gave me when I first met him. It, since I had it as a, as a uh, bookmarker, it actually got bound in my book. This is one of the coolest things. And, and here's the funny part. He always tried to quiz me, right? And, and I couldn't get the answer, like I said, for a long time. And I was, I was a stupid motherfucker. Because he actually, in his card, he gave me the answer. When he quizzed me about it, he gave me the answer with his other hand, right? I mean, but, but here's the cool thing. And, and obviously, you know, it's all fun and game until you meet your new employer. Taking to me, you know, when I, when I read this, you know, that God was going to be my, my director, that I was only going to be his agent, Right? That's a, I don't know, like, I don't want to be too dramatic of it, uh, about it, like, thinking, like, oh, I didn't want to do this, and my will, his will. It, it wasn't like that. I just, again, just being confused, I was like, okay, he's my new employer, like, what, is, what's that, what does that even mean, right? But, once again, it's not so hard. If you actually, you have a manual, it actually kind of gives it to you, right? It says, if you take this position, you're going to walk through an arch of freedom. You're going to pass through this arch. 
And it says right here, when we sincerely took such position, once again, sincerely, honesty, all these concepts, right? All these new concepts that begin to govern your lives, right? If those are actually taking place, when you take this position sincerely, all sorts of remarkable things begin to take place in your life. But you have, you have work to do. And that work is not like, oh man, I have work to do. It's so hard. It's not. All you have to do is be kind to others. Love your fellow man. I, I, I like to think that I have this constant thought of others, but I'd be lying if I said that. But I make, I make a sincere attempt. I think, um, you know, that whole fake it till you make it, um, I hate that, that saying, by the way. But, but I like when English Paul says, like, hey, you fake it till you make it, you know, for a long period of time, then no one will know the difference, right? Sometimes I feel that way with the thinking of others. I force myself. I wake up today. I wake up in, sometimes in the middle of the night. I was telling Brandon, <laughs> we're at... at in the hotel, and, and he says, how do you sleep? I said, I, I slept well, but I, I woke up, and, and I just said, I offer myself to thee. Every time I open my eyes, I try to say something like that, whether I feel it or I, or I don't at the time, but that's where I want to be. I just want to be there, so I don't give myself those sounds that it's progress, not perfection. Like I said, it doesn't say that in the book. It says we claim spiritual progress. I don't give myself those outs. I just want to be there. I want to be in the pocket. I want to be in the pocket. Right? And if it takes whatever out of me, I was, um, I was at home the other day, and um, you know, my wife and I have a, today we have a really cool relationship. It hasn't always been this way. It's been a, Sometimes an uphill battle, but um, you know, sometimes we joke. She's sober, and I tell her like she's this the guru, the guru of AA today, right? And it's, anyways, we laugh. Um, but you know, she was talking to a to a client, as uh, Ray would say, or a sponsee, and um, and they were going for some of the work. I was walking out of the house, and uh, and my wife asked me something, and we touched on step three a little bit. So I stopped with her sponsee and we talked. It was really cool. It was really cool. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking about all this, this doing. And uh, I get in my car, I take off, and I'm on um, Newhall Ranch in uh, uh, Bouquet. And I'm second on the light, right? And everybody takes off and this guy doesn't move and I'm like, what the hell's going on? I'm looking at him. I'm hoping he's making eye contact through his rear view mirror to let him know that I got I to gotta get. Right? <laughs> and then he puts his car in reverse, and I'm like, oh, my God, what is this guy doing? That's a railroad tie right in front of his car. Right? So he pulls out. He goes around. And now, I mean, there's a whole bunch of cars, so now there's a little bit of room, Right? And I get, I get around, and I'm thinking I'm going to call 911 to, you know, to come 
get this off the road because it can cause an accident, right? But as I keep driving up, there's this guy, <laughs> this, this, this guy alone in this truck, and there's five railroad ties all over, spread out on the, on the road, right? And, I mean, I realized, like, this is what I look like. I look back, and everybody's pissed off, right? Everybody stopped. I jump out of my car. I'm wearing a suit, and I'm carrying railroad ties with this guy. Nobody else gets off, right? And so we're doing the dance, and I help him get him off the road. And I got to tell you that I wasn't thinking, like, oh, let me help this dude. But I just left my house, and we were talking about step three. And we talked to this sponsee, right? So I got to... I got to follow an example, so even when I don't feel it, I still got to be. I need to be in the pocket. I can't cut myself any slack. The effectiveness of the whole AA program depends on that for me. I want to be sober. I want to be sober for the rest of my life. Now, I don't know if that's actually in the cards for me, but that's what I feel in my heart. That's what I want. I want to continue to grow along those spiritual lines. I want to be an instrument. I want to be a vessel. I want to, I want to be God's servant. I want to be useful to you, even though sometimes I still don't know how, and I fall short, and I stumble. But that's what I feel in my heart. I don't know what God is, but I know that I've been touched by the Master's hand. I feel that. I know that I have some value today as a result of that. So I may still be confused on our, but I got feelings. I feel that in my heart. And uh, I don't know how much time I still have, but we're kind of close enough, right? <sighs> Simple. The simplicity of the program. One of the things I love about Don is how simple it is. It is simple. We Especially, like, when everybody is, like, trying to be the bigger alcoholic. I struggle with that, right? Like, simple. Simple is good. Most good ideas are simple, and that turned out to be the firm bedrock, right? The firm bedrock where we can begin to build this new life. I'm going to tell you that that prayer that didn't have any meaning to me. Like I said, it's become the governing, governing law of my life. But I'm telling you, it took a lot f for me. And even though I did all this other work, like, you know, kind of bounced around, that was a big deal to get to come to this to this point, right? And, be, and to become, first of all, to become conscious of his presence. But to be able to say, God, 
I give myself to you, to you to do with me whatever it is. Whatever it is. If you don't want me to drive the nice car, if you don't want me to live in the nice house, whatever it is. Allow me to go through my life victorious over the issues I may have, but not because so that I can be cool. It's so that I can demonstrate your power. So that I can demonstrate what you've done with me and help others. You know, and actually says after, this is like they give you a little bit of a hook here, right? Like it says we it says here, and, and this I like too, right? That that it is for me at least, it is better to meet God alone. You see, I heard and heard and I asked and I wanted. I wanted to know. I wanted to know what you did. I was embarrassed when I asked. I want you to know this. I didn't know how to pray. I had no idea. Right? I was embarrassed to let you know that I didn't know. But I, ha- I engage in conversations with you so that, I, so that I can see the God in you and bring me to him. And... Um, You know, um, I got this this CD, and Nick and I were listening to it on our way um, to on our way over here, and it's uh, my friend Ray. He's got the goods. He's got the goods, but he talks about. I told Craig, I I, I wish I could have memorized this. This little story he wrote, I believe, um, but he talks about it on 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 his uh, on his tape, and uh, I said, but also I'm glad that I didn't memorize it, right? Because I can be a grinder. I don't want to grind, but the just of it. And it talks about this auctioneer auctioning this violin that is beat up, battered, and scarred. He says. It's all dusty, and it's right. He's put it up for auction, and then it goes for a dollar. Somebody offers two, somebody offers three. Says, but no, it's a guy from the back. Walks up to the stage, picks up the violin, takes the dust off, picks up the bow, and plays a tune. This sweet. And swift and sweet, he says. And uh, when he is done, he puts down the bow. He walks away. The auctioneer picks up the violin, and the bid is a thousand. And it goes for two, and it goes for three. And the auction closes. And although everybody was excited, a few were confused. What changed? the value on this violin. And it was the touch of the master's hand. That is it. That's what happens with us. When we are touched, our value changes. 
our value changes, our motives change. And it gives us the ability, like I said, to walk free. More importantly, to give to others, to make great attempts to, to have thought of others, right? And, uh, you know, we, I, go about ignoring, or I, I did, ignoring like what we read in every meeting, but it is, it is that simple. It is the ABCs. And you can spend all your life thinking how many gods there are, my God, your God, etc. The book says there is one who has all power. One. And you can have your own idea or concept of God. I think it was uh, Mickey Bush that talked about, uh, you know, he was talking about bottoms. How many bottoms are there? Like my bottom is lower than the bottom, and then there's a door down there for a lower bottom, right? And he says, like he he said, like everybody's bottom better be the same. See, because the bottom is not what's on the outside. Oh, well, you lost your wife. We lost our cars. We lost the house. That is outside. Better be in here, right? And the same thing comes when we make this connection, right? So you can invest all you want on research, right? But it's what you have here and when you put out there a hug, a kiss, a tear, love, love and kindness. I think that is, that is as close as I can get to grasping what God is. And I think that covers that covers for me, and uh, I um, I'm not gonna close with this like big bang, but I would say that because this, this is it, this is it for me. But I just want to say that I sat ten years ago in a group like this, and I used to think like I would never be up there, like I am a nobody. I am a nobody. I never thought I'd be sharing here with you. Never in a million years. And I've been going to the uh, committee meetings and the, you know, putting all this stuff. And it's always been it's always been fun. But I never thought I actually get to stand here before you and share. And it is the greatest, greatest honor. And I, I, you know. People ask, had asked me, like, hey, how are you doing with your studies? Everybody talks about studying. I got no studies. I did write some stuff down one night because I'm thinking, like, what am I even going to talk about? I know it's steps one, two, and three. Um, but I can't. Like, I couldn't even follow whatever I wrote because all I got is what I carry here, a value. The only thing I have is I carry here. And... Uh, if I, can, if I can be of any use to you, I want you to know that I love you and that I, that I go to any length, any length to be here for you. And I appreciate you and definitely Pat for giving me the opportunity and everybody, everybody that has touched my life. I only live this way because of you, because of the use 
that span and gave me the two minutes. I was the guy asking those guys. So if you're around here and this is your first time, pay attention. I was butting in in every conversation, eavesdropping. I wanted a piece. I wanted a piece. Find what you're looking for. It's here. Thank you.